Palmer. I first met you probably a year ago now. You were making this transition from the from bricks and mortar to, to the online world. Uh, obviously, a whole lot of people have had to do that really quickly. Can you talk about some of the roller coaster of a journey that you've been on over the last couple of months? Well, I mean, I've been, we've had brick and mortar stores for coming up 15 years around the Waikato. And um, the online journey is only three years old. And um, it's been interesting during COVID. I mean, I don't want to say that having an online business saved our company, but it definitely helped quite a bit. And um, it was a good distraction, especially for me and my brother to well have a an income, but also having work to do because um, we have a lot of friends and family who didn't have work to do during the four weeks. And it's been quite destructive. Um, so, I mean, I remember texting my brother on the night before the lockdown level four started. And um, I texted him, I said, I think we can sell online. I think this is doable. We should do this. Mm. And, um, and it was just an incredible four week journey of packing hundreds and hundreds of orders. And, I think in the end we did two and a half thousand orders in the three and a half weeks during the lockdown, mm. which um, our tiny company, 8PM, you know, was huge for us. It was just amazing and it's grown our database immensely. It's interesting. There's probably a couple of things off that because uh, a lot of people were watching your journey throughout this via LinkedIn. So it kind of gave another perspective. Often uh, with entrepreneurs and businesses, you kind of see the glitzy side, but uh, uh, you know, uh, through through something like LinkedIn and you sharing that, you're able to see kind of the the harder uh, slog side of it as well. What, yeah, what, well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I don't think we were connected back then when um, in July last year um, on the I might be getting the right dates wrong. 27th and 29th of July, we had two armed robberies between three days at one of our brick and mortar stores and. There was a different line in the sand where before that on LinkedIn, you know, I was doing a little bit, posting a bit, but I shared my pain around the robberies then. And um, I think people saw that side of me went, he's just a guy like he's, you know, he's, he's trying to get out of brick and mortar. He's got this online store. It's in corporate tasting, but um, things he goes through, he shares it on a regular basis, which I still do. I haven't changed any of the message really. Obviously, I keep the online 8pm commercial side of things separate to my own journey, but this sort of Ash Palmer on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram has taken its own course and I never envisioned any of it. It's just, yeah, it's just come out of nowhere. So what was it that, that compelled you to share uh, details on LinkedIn after the, after the, the armed robbery? What was the... What was, was there just a need, a cathartic kind of need? Uh, to be honest, mate, I mean, I've, I've always lived about life as an open book. You know, I don't, um, I mean, just look at me now. I'm, I, I don't really present a well-polished look or a fake look. You know, I'm just, I am who I am. And when I shared some of that, it helped sort of, uh, I guess, ease the pain. Um, I don't know if you saw at the time, but uh, we had, I think, 40 plus people, um, they got together and started like a secret give a little page and um, and got together $3,000 for my mum and dad because my mum was there for both the robberies. I was only there for one. And um, she, she, um, she was blown away by that, you know. And I remember her words to me then 
because like my parents don't know anything I do. Like they don't know my LinkedIn journey. They don't know my Instagram. 8 p.m. for them now is a cash cow because they saw the half million dollars roll in during April. And they were like, oh, this is cool. We like this. <laughs> but um, at the time, and I said, hey, my friends have given you a $3,000 travel voucher. And they're like, who are these people? Why would they do that? No one, no one needs to help us. No one helps us normally. So, yeah, so it's, it's all been very interesting, to be honest, you know. And I'm meeting, you know, obviously met you because of LinkedIn. Um, our paths might not have crossed otherwise. Um, and it's been amazing. Just, yeah. And I'm still enjoying it. It's just taking its course constantly. Yeah. Uh, we will talk about other things, but how responsible did you feel uh, that your mum was there for the for the robberies? Did that, like, was there a, was this incredible weight on your shoulder? Yeah, well, I mean, um, when the first one happened, I flew in from Queenstown after hosting a function um, and straight to Taronga and hosted an afternoon function. Uh, whiskey tastings, and um, I text my mum that evening around 4.30, it's like, oh, I'll come to the shop anyway, and she said, no, nah, no way, you know, you must be shattered, just um, don't worry, and um, I was at home, which was weird for me on a Saturday night, because I'm always at the shop, and um, it happened, and they didn't tell me initially, she told me quite late at night after everything happened, and um, mm. I felt bad, because unfortunate setup we have is when I'm not at the store normally and you've been to the store um, and even right now as I speak uh, mum's here <laughs> she's she's got some staff with her um, just it's a weird business and um, I felt really bad and I mean we didn't even digest it and then on the Tuesday straight after in the evening me and mum were just sitting in the shop I was doing some work for 8pm on the laptop and then it happened again and um I think I'll never forget that look on my mom's face. Like she, she had just gone just, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to describe. And I felt really bad. I mean, even now when I go over hosting, um, she's here, but I leave some extra staff or a security guard with her. Um, but let's, let's just say we are the, at the very bitter end of our journey here in Huntley. Mm. Um, it's yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, the store will be sold very soon, and then I can go do the 8 p.m. thing full time, do the corporate hosting full time. Um, and the most important thing is my mum can retire. Mm. Um, she, she said it. She's like, oh, that's it. That's the end of working for me, which is cold. She gets a pension, and obviously she has her income. So, but more importantly, for my mindset, you know, be able to go work on stuff with no baggage of having the brick and mortar. Focus mm. on the online store. The other interesting thing is, um, I probably haven't shared with you, but um, we're working on opening an 8 p.m. brick and mortar store in Cambridge. So sort of a store within a store. We've got a, a rather large footprint bottle store there, which has got a heap of space at the back. So the hope and the dream and the goal always was to set up an 8 p.m. store, have a tasting room. Um, and I mean, you, you've seen some of my videos at home, man. I've got over 200 open bottles of whiskey. And uh, the goal is to just take all of that and put it into the tasting room. And anyone is welcome to come and try whiskey, just have a chat, mm. uh, try the amazing gins and rums that um, I'm deeply in love with. And um, I'm a great believer in the fact, you know, you sort of put your best feet forward and sales just come. You know, um, I still come across a lot of people who are very desperate for a sale, you know, mm. if, uh, if 
kind of hard pitch and uh, low value. I, I still believe in providing value first and then sales is just a beautiful um, byproduct of providing mm. value first. So there's a, there's a couple of things that I want to circle back on. Um, but we'll, we'll one last one last tie of the knot with the with the armed robbery side of things. But it must speak to a certain uh, well, an incredible level of resilience that your mum is still at the store. I don't know if if my mum would do that. Um, but is that you know is it something that runs in the in the family? Is the is there something in the blood? I think Andre, it comes from that migrant mentality. You know that I'm just gonna keep waking up and go to work. It's you know like um, I think someone was saying that to me yesterday. I dropped off a big order to this guy Chris in Hamilton, and his last name is actually Hamilton. So Chris Hamilton, who lives in Hamilton, and I dropped off this big order for him at about eight thirty at night. And it's like, where have you just come from? And it's like I've just come from the store. And it's like, but you were there at nine in the morning when I text you. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, why are you doing eleven hour days? And it's like, I don't know anything else to do. I I just you know, and my mum's the same. You know, and I'm incredibly proud and happy that I have parents who have put this ethic into me, you know, it's just, you just get on with work, you know, like, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but what else do you do? Mm. Do you just walk away from your business, you know? Um, well, yeah. did, that, did that not cross your mind, though, like after the second uh, robbery? Was there not a moment where you thought, fuck it, I'll go, I'll, I'll go and do something else? But the thing is, Andre, as you know, like the APM journey, um, and again, my father, you know, when I started it, he thought this is going to be, uh, you know, he's going to go lose me a whole heap of money by ordering quarter million dollars worth of whiskeys he can't get rid of. But um, I've been growing it slowly, obviously, you know, from back of the stores. And we knew it was there. But I can say for a fact the armed robberies were a gift in disguise uh, in two ways. One, it made me realize 8 p.m. is the right journey. I need to go there. And number two, my mum said herself that she will retire, which mm. is huge for an Indian lady, you know, and she's only 65. You know, uh, my dad's 69 now. Uh, he, he's only working part-time now in our Cambridge stores. But uh, for my mum to say, cool, I'm going to hang up the boots, you know, this is the end. So it was a blessing in disguise. But, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here in the car park now. These stores are worth a lot of money. You can't just... Mm walk away from them you know it's not a little cafe kiosk which you set up for 10 15 grand you know they're worth <laughs> quite a few hundred thousand dollars so i guess that's that immigrant mentality come in you know i, I know i'm in this situation and um i just got to see it through which is quite awesome you know i mean even when the robberies happened nothing about COVID was on the horizon right mm. and um COVID has come and well well and truly struck and um it's made us change our ways and um, it's grown this APM database to levels that might have taken me another three, four years. Mm. So I might have kicked the bucket and say, yeah, normal Huntley, I'll just go do the APM thing, but might have kind of stuffed it up. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's just taking shape. I like this. I think that's what's so great about life. You know, it just, it just takes us on turns, but we just got to do the work obviously in between. Mm. Just going back to the migrant mentality thing, do you think there's something in that inter intergenerational thing, like uh, working together, that um, you know that maybe you don't see in in 
other cultures or the or you know other other scenarios is is there something in like really working together as a family and and leveraging that support well i mean it's you don't necessarily have to work together you know i mean there's plenty of indian immigrants here who don't necessarily own business but they will still sort of buy a house together or invest together and sort of look after each other um which i guess i mean i don't know how to explain it it's i think it's just the way we brought up you know mm. um and it works it has its pitfalls as well trust me there's <laughs> there can be friction sometimes because mm. um i mean i was only 17 when i moved here so i was sort of you know pretty sown into the indian culture but straight into waikato uni and the garage parties and i had a good two years of rebel mode as well you know <laughs> so yeah and what's going to be interesting andre is both my kids are born here and they've been raised here obviously by two full-blooded indian parents and grandparents and all that kind of stuff but um they they for all essential purposes kiwis you know and they go to a, a amazing country school and um they they know and respect the culture but um they have their own unique way of thinking and um all of that kind of beautiful stuff which is it's it's going to be interesting you know and mm. my wife jokes about it sometimes you know what if your daughter dates someone non indian how are you going to react to that and i was like i haven't thought that far she's only 9 i think i'll put <laughs> 10 years <laughs> you know maybe hopefully 10 i don't know but um we'll see but you know um i did an interview with um this gentleman in hamilton um he's got the podcast podcast kiwi talks and uh we talked about this for a long time you know the whole migrant mentality of investing together and working together and like in our case before we came um an uncle of ours who was already here he had already sorted out a business for us to purchase you know so we kind of just hmm. slipped straight into it and i guess it works in a way um when I mean, you look at the some of the indian and chinese families or other asian families or even south african families actually how successful they are within 5 to 10 15 20 years you know because mm. um they sort of band together you know yeah do you hope that uh, i know we're still going to cross the bridge in terms of uh potentially marrying outside of culture but uh do you hope that your kids will carry on will the will they carry on the 8 pm empire will they will they be in there working with you but thing is you know i mean it's interesting right like they're at that age now my boy's 6 and my girl's 9 and um both of them have seen me put immense effort and time into APM you know um sometimes i joke to my wife you know even if i charge myself at the minimum wage of 20 bucks an hour mm-hmm. i would probably write off the company you know the amount of effort i put into it but it's only now it's starting to pay immense dividends and also the following and my kids have been watching it you know they they're seeing this work ethic i'm putting into 8 pm on top of having a full time job running our existing brick and mortar stores and even if a little bit of a sticks in the into their mindset you know of working hard and just giving things a try and not giving up um i would like to think i've done my job you know um obviously they're far too young for me to speculate if they'll be in business or if they'll go into a professional service or something like that you know um my boy changes his mind he's only sex he's cute you know he just he wants to be a fireman a pilot a race car driver you know and all of the other cool jobs but 
we'll, we'll see where he lands. But I would like to think, mate, I mean, and a name, Glenn Marvin, you know, a good friend of mine who actually put me onto the APM path. He said to me, you know, this is going to be a five to 10 year journey before it becomes a very well-established business, which is what we've done with the brick and mortars. You know, it's been 15 years. And um, this is only year three and some really cool stuff is starting to happen. You know, um, like I'm selling far above my weight in terms of the premium and the limited edition whiskeys where quite often my suppliers say, we can't keep allocating you the premium stuff. You're not buying enough of the of the entry-level whiskeys, you know, which sort of compensates um, them bringing in this limited edition stuff, you know, which might be just 200 bottles or 100 bottles a season. Um, but then I'm learning quickly. Um, I've started importing my own range of premium whiskeys, which I've shared with you. And um, for the first time, I've committed to my own barrel of whiskey, which will be bottled exclusively for APM. And uh, with better luck, it will come for Christmas. Um, so it's, it's all happening very quickly and very fast. And um, I'd I like to share a story with you. Um, and I won't say names because they might not like it, but um, we, we all went to Christchurch in February, uh, sorry, first week of March for this uh, once every two year whiskey festival called Dramfest, which is run by this beautiful company, Whiskey Galore in Christchurch. And um, I ran into this whiskey celebrity and, you know, I introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm Ash, you know, such and such. And um, he said, I know who you are. And, um, <laughs> you know, for me as a whiskey nerd, I was just like, wow, this, this guy knows about me. He knows I exist and I'll talk about whiskey so much, you know, and it, it was a huge sign of respect for me that, you know, uh, people know what I'm up to, not just our customers or the general public, but other people who've been doing whiskey for 35, 40, 45 years, you know. Uh, all multi-generational so it's all really cool what is it what is it about whiskey that has made you such a nerd for it but also has compelled you to, to dedicate so much of your future to it mate i mean i grew up in india whiskey was all around you it was it was the drink that was always there you know i mean i cannot remember as a child ever any of my dad and his mates and cousins sitting down and drinking a crate of beer that I don't have a single memory of that happening I have amazing memories of them drinking whiskeys at different quality levels you know as his fortunes sort of grow um, you know drinking the entry-level Indian made whiskey to every now and then having a Johnny Red and sometimes a Shiva's 12 or a Johnny Black was in there and um, if they were lucky a single malt will turn up um, because someone from overseas has brought them a bottle. So it's always been around me, you know. Um, during the back of the uni days, you know, obviously I dabbled into the beer and the premix cans and all that kind of stuff. But um, luckily, sort of came back to the North Star, which is whiskey. And um, I would like to think four or five years ago, or might be longer, six years ago now, I did this um, Glenfiddich Masterclass with this gentleman named Chase. He's a Kiwi guy. Um, he was the either the spirits or Glenfiddich brand ambassador for La Nathan, who was importing Glenfiddich into New Zealand. And I did his master class over the three, four hours. And I feel like I finally understood whiskey. You know, we broke it down into different flavors. We mashed it with some foods. He broke down different cast types for me. And then after that, I was just 
like a mad child, just I must know more, kept learning more, kept in. Fortunately, unfortunately, you learn more from drinking more of it um, or trying different whiskeys. And um, I'm quite lucky I'm exposed to um, some very interesting whiskeys, mate. I mean, I get sent samples of whiskeys that just literally money can't buy, which is awesome. Mm. Um, but again, for positive or negative reasons, it, it has this persona that this guy's always around liquor. But it's my job, you know. Mm. I'll, I'll carry on with the journey. But some of the whiskeys we're selling now, mate, I mean, I, I wouldn't have dreamed of Like today we sold four $500 bottles to this guy. And it was just like a 10-minute phone conversation because obviously we just have an online store. We don't have a physical store. And as I'm telling him, he's just saying yes to everything. And I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, mm. I can't wait for the brick and mortar store for people to come in and try some of this stuff. You know, mm. it's, yeah. And I've seen it in action, obviously. There are other people who do it in New Zealand and there are people who do it much better overseas. So um, it's kind of weird, you know. I'm, I was sick and tired of brick and mortar. I dabbled into online, but I want to go back to brick and mortar. Yeah. But in my own unique way, not a generic liquor store that sells a bit of everything. Yeah. Mm. Just in terms of like that phone call that you had where, you know, 10-minute conversation and you and you sell um, some quite expensive whiskey. How much of that is, how much of this, the ease of sales is really the passion and the knowledge uh, that you have for what you're selling, do you think? You know, I, I think, how do I say it, Andre? Like, it's a journey, right? Like, I mean, there was a time when I started at PM, no one knew about me. But over the last two and a half years, I've been trying to establish myself as someone who's deeply passionate about whiskey, keeps an eye out for this person. I made the mistake of not asking this person how he found out about us. But um, he emailed me, he said, I would like to have a phone conversation with you um, to help choose some whiskeys, you know, um, of a particular type. Like he wanted long-aged sherry cask whiskeys. And um, I said, look, we've had all this Glendronach and Ben Riak stuff come in. And I think it's quite interesting. And I've tried these three. And I think that's what the customer who, who really, truly have passion for this product, they respect that and they see that um, where you could go. And again, I'm not going to say names. In Auckland, you've got some stores. And you can go in there and they will just point to an expensive bottle mm. with no knowledge of what's actually in there. Where with this guy, I was able to tell him, you know, hey, look, these distilleries were silent for 15 years. This is some of the stock from before. Um, this is the story. This is what it will taste like. When I tried these three, this is what I thought of them. And, um, you know, he, he likes that, which is quite cool. I like it's It's just amazing. And it's when I started at 8 p.m., none of it was on the cards, you know. Um, it just, yeah, like I said, just taking shape all by itself. Yeah. How, how, how would you rate us? How would you rate us as uh, as whiskey customers in New Zealand? Are we Are we a sophisticated bunch? Are we still learning? I think we, New Zealand as a population, we're in this unique scenario where we, what I call the mother country, UK, uh, we, there's, a, there's a very direct cultural line to UK. So I think whiskey is always there. Um, what I find is, you know, like, I mean, I blog so much. I'm on it all day. And any number of people want to talk to me about whiskey and, Obviously, within a minute or two, I can figure out what sort of level they're drinking at, which is fine. You know, the people who drink $40 bottles on a regular basis, the people who drink three $500 bottles. But it's, 
on a large degree, it's consumed for the wrong reasons. You know, um, it's it's consumed as alcohol, you know, mm. or hooch or booze or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, there's very few connoisseurs, you know, who truly drink it. And that's what I said, you know, I mean, I drink it for uh, flavors and smells. And I'm so happy I've switched to that side. And luckily, both my work and my uh, income allows me to drink for flavors and smells, you know, where I could open an interesting bottle and share with some friends, you know, where if I was just working in the shop or just at a job for 60, 70K a year, obviously I'll be drinking at that 40, $50 level as well. Um, but it, it's, yeah. But I'm coming across, coming across a lot of um, Asian community as well who are absolutely intrigued by these sort of specialty releases. Um, and a lot of these guys have very high disposable income. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, um, they also drink it for wrong reasons sometimes. I don't know if you saw my post on LinkedIn two nights ago. <laughs> that ad in Coke? Was that the... Yeah. It, I think I said something along the lines, you know, it gives me nightmares that some of the people are drinking these very nice expensive whiskeys with Coke and God <laughs> knows what else. But hey, a very nice man, Ian MacArthur, you know, he he's worked for Lagavulin. Distillery in Scotland, uh, when I met him in Scotland, um, he said, Ash, drink your whiskey however it makes you happy. Mm. You know, uh, but I always like to add, here's how you could enjoy it, but it's it's up to you, you know, um, h- how you want to enjoy it, you know, as long as you're drinking for the right reasons. You know, obviously, alcohol is a great destroyer as well, and I'm sure in your time you've seen it as well. You know, people drinking at all sorts of levels for the wrong reasons, you know, high consumption and just using it as a coping mechanism. Um, and that's that, that's in wine as well or gin or all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So as long as you're drinking for relaxation or enjoyment, I think it's, yeah. And in terms of, um, okay, so I'm, I'm pretty sure you won't be adding Coke, but what's the, what's the how do you normally enjoy whiskey? 99% of my whiskey is drunk neat. Because um, like I said, I'm drinking for flavors or smells. Um, um, you can see some of my videos on YouTube, um, which I've been forced to edit now because I used to do 15, 20 minute reviews. But a lot of the customers say, look, we don't have 20 minutes on our life to see you sit there and just nose a whiskey for seven, eight minutes. Because <laughs> if I find something new and it's interesting, um, honestly, I will spend good seven, eight minutes before even I sip it because there's just so much going on nose. There's so much pleasure. Um, you know, you just take your time with it. I would, on very odd occasion, cut it with water, especially some of the cast strength whiskies, you know, and cast strength young whiskies that tend to be very high in alcohol. Um, we're not supposed to be, as a human, drinking 60% alcohol spirits. It's, it's the human body just rejects it. I said, "No, I'm not. I'm not coming along with this journey." But I drink a lot of like long age whiskies, which aren't cast strength, but they tend to be around the 50%. But also being in the oak barrel. They, they tend to mellow out, you know, some of the oddities and the harshness go away. And the flavors, from depending on what sort of battle, already start to kick in, which are evident on the nose and the palate. But you just got to give it time, Andre. And so many people have come across just, they just want to down everything. You know, they don't want to give it the time and respect, which is fine. Again, like Ian said, drink it however it makes you happy, you know. Mm. But if you give it time, you know, there's so much pleasure in just nosing a whiskey. Um, I don't necessarily drink it with ice. 
unless I've had a long day and I'm just drinking something entry level. Um, just for flavors, you know, I am partial to some of the whiskey liqueurs as well, but again, just a big ice cube and um, yeah, just gun it down after a long day. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, you obviously enjoy your whiskey as well on occasion. How no, no. do you? Um, how do you enjoy it? Yeah, I like neat. I'm nowhere near your level there. <laughs> but you know, um, the one thing I say myself quite a bit, and a lot of my customers who buy from me quite regularly say, is we've absolutely ruined our palate because when we drink that 40% watered down whiskey, that nothing happens because we've drunk far too much of very interesting long age car strength whiskey mm. that. Um, some of the younger whiskey and especially the ones that have been watered down just simply don't register on the palate, which is not a bad thing. You know, it just seem just saying that our palates have improved immensely. Mm. Um, that some of this younger stuff or watered down stuff doesn't register, mm. but that's okay. And obviously, lucky for me, mate, I've got even at the moment, I've got more than 100 like little um, because I get samples of new releases and stuff, I've got more than a little sa- hundred of samples that are just sitting there. Um, but there's only so much I can try hmm. in a week, which is quite cool. There's endless amount of really interesting whiskey. Brilliant. Now, you, you mentioned enjoying a whiskey at the end of a long day. I imagine your days are pretty long, though, because you've got the shop, you've got the tastings, you've got uh, orders, uh, and you're creating content as well. Like how? Uh, I mean, do you sleep at all? <laughs> I, I sleep six hours. I think that's that's quite cool. But, you know, I, I don't want to say, sorry, I just want to add, I could really enjoy doing it, Andre. Honestly, like, I think, like, if, if I had to work less than 10, 12-hour days, I would not be a pleasant person to be around. I need the stimulation, you know. Um, and I, I say that with a lot of confidence, you know, when the whole COVID thing happened and it was going to be lockdown full, we weren't allowed to open our stores. I think I would have been very destructive mentally you know, mentality-wise, if I just had to stay home for that three and a half weeks, mm. um, it was a blessing in disguise that we were allowed to travel to our warehouse um, and ship the goods and all that kind of stuff. I was I was freaking out, you know, mm. what's going to happen. I can't stay at home, you know. Mm. Um, but, hey, that might change, you know, because part of the reason why I started 8 p.m. is I was seeking a balance in my life, you know, maybe bring it down to 55, 60 hours a week and, not work till eight ten at night in the shop, you know, just um, get home at 5.30 and 6 and or be involved more in my kids' stuff as well, which mm. quite gracefully, my wife, she carries a flag, you know, and she does it so well, which allows me to do all of this stuff. Um, so hopefully there'll be a change there as well, you know. Do you think you'll, will you regret that side of things though, not maybe not spending as much time as you could have with your kids? Yeah, mate, I mean, before my boy was born, I, I remember my daughter being born, and then one day she was three. <laughs> you know, just like, and mm. now she's nine, and she's nearly as tall as my wife. Um, you know, it's yeah. Would I regret it? Nah, I don't think so, because I don't remember my dad being around a lot. You know, he worked long hours. He had a construction business. My mum had a bank job, and. Um, she would pick us up from Krish, you know, after school. And I don't know, mate. I think it's just that, again, going back to the immigrant mentality, you find happiness in other ways, you know. I mean, I've um, 
obviously because of APM, I've met all these friends, you know, who are so successful lawyers and architects and, you know, um, and I, I look at their lifestyle, you know, they, they're working Monday to Friday, sort of 10 to 5 or 9 to 5, and then they're having all these long holidays and stuff. And, I mean, I'm so happy for them. It's, um, if it works for them, but, yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't have an answer for that, Andre. Um, no, it's okay. I didn't. I didn't mean to. I didn't yeah. mean to send you on an existential <laughs> journey. No, no, no. But I mean, I, I will admit to the fact. You know, I do feel guilty, mate. I mean, you know, I mean, but I do take joys in little things. You know, I make the point of driving them to school. Mm. You know that, um, and going into the classrooms. And again, living my life like an open book. You know, I shared on LinkedIn. You know how frustrating it is. They're not letting me go inside the school in the morning. I had to drop them at the gate hmm. for a little while um, once the school had opened because it was that little joy for me, you know, taking them to the classroom and just talking shit, hmm. absolute shit, you know, and um, looking at what's happening in the classroom, talk to the teachers, and luckily that's come back now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it again. But obviously I'm missing quite a bit of uh, sports and a lot of other stuff as well. Hmm. But it sounds like it sounds like the time that you do spend you do spend with your kids of is, is value because you could you could have a nine to five job and come home and watch TV all night. Yeah, which hey, watching from a distance, what seems like a lot of my friends do, they just they're home, but then they just go to the pub or they go hmm. do other stuff, you know. Um, where and again, you know, I mean, I'm I'm blessed to have both my parents here. Um, luckily, my wife's father is here at the moment. Um, he came here on a visitor visa in November, and uh, he was going to stay here for six months and go back in April. But um, his visa has been extended indefinitely because obviously there's no flights happening at the moment. Hmm. So that's quite cool as well because having both my mum and dad and her dad is giving them a unique cultural uh, perspective on life because you know they handle themselves a certain way. Um, there's things that do and don't do, which clashes also sometimes, you know, it's sort of cute to see them, um, you know, um, well, cute to see them caution a certain thing, you know, how come grandma, um, I'll give you a small example, Andre. Um, I told both my kids that my mom used to beat me. Like she used to beat us a lot when we were little, you know, that was just the thing. And obviously we were getting a beating because we we're doing dumb stuff as kids, you know, just not doing the homework or whatever. Mm. And my daughter went to my mom and said, um, I can't believe you used to hit that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think my mom was lost for a second. and like, damn it, you ratted me out. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> grandma is like this um, temple of uh, discipline and mm. niceness. But, um, it's interesting, you know, and obviously we live in a different society here. Mm. You know, we, uh, we use our words and kindness, which works. And it's amazing perspective for me, you know, and I, I constantly say to my wife, you know, can you just imagine if we've been to schools like our kids are going to, you know, the mm. teachers are so compassionate and so dedicated to their jobs where we just had angry teachers, mm. you know, that um, they're always angry. You know, they're, and they're always lashing out at us in way mm. of hitting us or just um, making sniping comments, you know. Because, um, I mean, I don't know how many other Indian friends you have who've done the school system in India. Um, Indian school system works on a, you know, if you're good at memorizing, 
what's been put in front of you, you you're number one. You know, you just you read a book, you memorize it. No shit's given if you understand what's in front of you. But if you're good at memorizing it and writing it down, um, cool, we'll have you. You know, and a lot of these people have no personality or real life skills. But hey, they do well. They get good jobs and all that kind of stuff. But I find that quite boring. Hmm. We, you know, I mean, backbenchers like me, you know, we're living our lives a bit. <laughs> you know, what I mean, me and these other four guys and one of the girls, we compare notes every now and then, and they're all around the world now. Um, I think we're doing quite well for ourselves for backbenchers. You know, hmm. um, the universe sort of had a plan for us. Yeah. It's. Um, I wonder if with that, uh, with the whole beating thing, whether that that's that's just like a sign of the times as well. Like when I was a kid, um, we dad had this big shoehorn thing, taking off your shoes. Very, it's called the whop roo. I don't know, but it made a pretty good whopping sound. Um, but I think that was just the that was just the time, you know. Um, do you, do you worry that we've made things? A little bit too cushy, though. I'm not saying that we go back to, um, you know, the wooden spoon, but can it be a little bit too soft for our kids? I, I, I think, Andre, like I said, you know, like universe has a plan for everyone, but I would like to think in every child or adult's life, there are several critical moments when they just need to be pulled back to the North Star, and I'm just incredibly happy and lucky Every time I started started to waver, um, my parents brought me back in line. They never kind of forced me to be a bookworm, you know. They be the best of memorizing and stuff like that, you know, as long as you conduct yourself in a certain way. Obviously, mate, I've got this unique perspective on life, which I think people don't appreciate, you know, running a liquor store in Huntley for 15 years. And... I could I could write several books about what the question you asked, you know, are we too soft? Um, 100%, you know, maybe 200%. We're very, very soft now, you know, as a lucky go attitude, you know, give it a go, mate. If you fail, cool, just try again or don't even give it a go, you know. I mean, I wasn't good at school. I dropped out of work at a uni, but I need to just keep working. You got to get a job, you know, you got to get on with life. You got to treat your parents with respect, your wife with love and respect and um, conduct a good life for your kids to follow. Mm. Uh, but a lot of that is missing from society a little. Uh, but there's a bad element everywhere, mate. I mean, even I was little when we left India. I saw a lot of it there as well. But um, on top of that, obviously, the poverty um, and deprivation, which is crippling, you know, compared to here where um, people get a lot of help to get them back online. and it's frustrating to see them not take the help and use it effectively. Hmm. Um, yeah. I've, I've, this is kind of a random thought, uh, and I don't want to overanalyze things too much. But when you when you're talking about your love for whiskey, I was kind of making this connection with the, the conversation that we had earlier on um, about you know your journey, uh, the the very long time frame around building up a business and then building up another one, and the generational thing. Is there a connection there with whiskey as well? Because it's not a quick, it's not a quick product to make. You know, you're talking about years and years of heritage and knowledge, and then the actual, you know, the barreling. Is there is that is there something there? I don't know. I mean. I would like to think I didn't choose to talk about whiskey. 
I think it was there I started talking about it. I think, I mean, I shared with you how I learned from that class, um, that Glenfiddich Masterclass. But the other thing for me, you know, I mean, in February, no, March 2018, well, actually in January, um, I got an email from Air New Zealand saying, you know, we are in the business of selling cheap flights to London. Are you interested? You know, I mean, the email saying something else. I was like, yeah, that's me. I want to go to Scotland, you know, and um, I booked a flight by myself. That was a huge thing. Because before that, Andre, I had traveled a very narrow corridor between India and New Zealand. I've seen most of the countries between Fiji, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, whatever. But for me to go around the other side of the world, and um, because I had started 8 p.m., it was only four months old. And I learned very quickly that that I don't know anything. Seriously, I don't know anything. I see all these other guys talking about the product. And I was like, man, I need to... I need to go to the home of a ski and see and learn some of these stories. And uh, when I told my wife and my parents, they thought I lost my mind. And they go, you can go on YouTube and just learn, learn something, you know. Why do you have to go to Scotland? I was like, I have to. I have to take this pilgrimage, you know, go and learn. Because um, it's so easy for people to go into a liquor store and just buy a Glenfiddich 12-year-old, you know, for um, 60 bucks, 65 bucks or whatever. It's a 12-year-old whiskey, which was laid down probably 12 and a half, 13 years ago. Um, the barley was being raised a year prior. Um, the barrels have come from tree. They were 15 or 20 years, even older than you and I were probably just getting beaten up for not doing homework, you know? <laughs> and, mate, I, I put a lot of value on that. I think it's, it's just something beautiful. Um, but we live in this society of um how to say it um you know you just click and things just appear mm. uh, which is taking value away from the product mm. you know um and i say that to a lot of my friends who are distillers you know who who's when their product gets discounted so much on all these other platforms and it's like why you know like because if it all becomes about price then there's no conversation you know mm. there and i guess that's why I'm quite successful in selling a lot of this high-level stuff because I will take a deep dive into what, what's behind the release, what are the barrels, what are the flavors, but also what's the story mm. and um, to be a good storyteller. And I really enjoy talking to um, – because um, I remember you sent Greg to my event. Mm. Um, that was with Alan Winchester, who's the master distiller for Glen Levitt. He's been in the industry for 45 years. You know, um, and to spend two hours with him, that was, that was just amazing. And I mean, for me, I've got a tiny company and for Pernod Ricard to give me access to Alan, um, um, I was the only other company in the North Island that was given that opportunity. And I was just like, let's do this. <laughs> I would like mm. to um, host him, you know, and um, we didn't sell those tickets. Um, this other competitor who had the same opportunity sold the tickets. I gave them away for free to my regular customers. And obviously I had invited you, but um, you were busy. So Greg came, came along you and it was to, just, a, you don't need to rub sorry? it in. You don't need to rub it in, by the way. Well, I mean, you missed a good opportunity, <laughs> mate. But, <laughs> but um, it was an amazing evening, you know, like every time Alan spoke, you know, it was just magic, you know, he, the, the history and the stories, you know, um, that's what sells the product. Um, mm. And, they, they go a long way, you know, um, and I mean, 
having run the brick and mortar stores, I didn't want us to have a online store that's built on price. Mm. Um, there's a lot of other people who do that really well, you know, just sell everything with that pack and serve mentality, you know, just keep moving product. Uh, I don't want to be in that space uh, for mm. two reasons, because I like making money. Um, being an Indian, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to work for nothing. But um, I think that story, that rich story, learning and telling is where the hosting came in, you know. And then, mm. mate, I've done countless tastings now, and um, it's just amazing, you know, just getting in front of people. And I don't even make this product, you know, it's not my product. I literally buy someone else's product, and we put on an event, and um, and I've done in front of some very incredible people who've become very good friends. And um, I've always done it with a mindset of I'm not here to sell anything. I'm just here to educate and tell the story. And luckily, generally, sales just keep coming, which is awesome, mm. you know. Do you think there's some? Are there some lessons in there for and for a brighter uh, for a broader context? Sorry for the for the New Zealand economy, and we're we're talking about how we can pick up the slack of some of the sectors that have that have dropped away, and what and what new opportunities we can find. Do you think that there's there's more opportunity in the margin and the products that we make here, and not commoditizing them and not discounting them but creating more margin out of the story like how do we how do we do a scotland and 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 in terms of what they've done with their whiskey well i mean i mean we don't have to look very far andre we just got to look at what's happening in uh australia and in particular tasmania you know tasmania has made a name for themselves with whiskey and um i mean i'm almost desperate to go there it's long overdue where they've got don't cope on this. I think over 50 distilleries and they're cleaning up awards left, right and center. But it, they have been successful because they're making a high quality product but making less of it and be mm. prepared to say, I'm going to charge you $300 for this bottle. I'm not in the business of making a million $60 bottles because in this part of the world, we'll never be able to get to that scale. Mm. Um, there's many factors, you know, there's raw ingredients, there's uh, commercial scalability. But they're doing really, really well. Um, and that's something we, we're we doing on a very small scale. You know, we have a number of distilleries here. But, you know, to talk about um, products in other categories as well, you know, I mean, I was really shocked. I don't know if you saw um, this uh, nappies company in Hamilton's closing down, which has been around for 40, 45 years. Um, I think, what's that called? Uh, I forget. They called something. Um, and we used to use that product. I remember my wife specifically seeking them out over cheaper imported Chinese or American or German product because she liked this particular brand. And I remember reading this article that said that the sales been dropping because well, Kiwis are just buying the cheap mass imported stuff, you know. And I think that's where maybe the government has a role to play as well. And I'm not saying subsidies or, um, you know, discounting the product on their behalf, but I think there's a role they can play there. Um, I don't have the answers, you know, um, but th there's some ideas out there. I reckon um, we've got to protect that sort of integrity of something being made well and made here, mm. not brought from overseas, you know. We don't have to submit to that cheap import, you know, mass-produced stuff, you know. Mm. And there's, there's, there's many success stories, you know. There are products being made here really well. Mm. Um, but I guess at the end of the way, end of the line, um, your pocket sort of dictates what level you're going to play at. Yeah. Yeah. 
any any kind of general advice for people that are looking at you and and you know aspiring to be able to move uh, their business online and create you know the social activity around it, the storytelling around it? Any advice there to help them get started? I think the best advice I can do I can give is just be authentic. Um, you know, there's plenty of people out there who are just complete assholes or vixens, you know, but people are attracted to that. So if, if you're an arrogant idiot, put that out there, you know, there will be people who will be attracted to that, you know, and um, and they still do plenty of business. But if you're someone like me who just likes to share his life and the story and, you know, I mean, I still do it, you know, oh my God, I can't believe it just got these two bottles. Some people see it as a sales pitch. I'll see it as I'm just sharing. And then within an hour, the two bottles are gone because the guys are like, wow, you know, he's, there's something cool here. I want to be part of it. Um, too many people, I believe, put such a polished uh, image out there, which when you sit down with them for a coffee or, or a whiskey or whatever, you see right through it because <laughs> the, the true colors sort of come out, hmm. you know. Um, and it's just like, you know, it's like you guys as well, you know, with them too. Um, I'm naturally attracted to it, obviously, connected with you first. I uh, saw a couple of that's your the, posts. That's the arrogant asshole thing, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's the, you know, I mean, mate, I, 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 I was born and raised in a big country, in a big country where, you know, you're just a little dot. And like for me right now, to be able to sit here and talk to you, I put a lot of uh, value on this, you know, um, to be able to take up your time and discuss, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's quite cool. And, you just got to be humble and you just got to um, put yourself out there, you know, be a little vulnerable as well. I think that's absolutely fine. Mm. Too many people are so scared of failure. You know what I mean? When we started mm. at PM, we had this website made and it was, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000. And then we deleted it because it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then Glenn said, I told you not to go down that path, but you didn't want to listen to me. And then we fixed it. You know, we moved to Shopify and I literally run it from my smartphone, which is awesome. So it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be making mistakes, you know, as long as you put yourself out there to learn from others and uh, be open to connect with other people. But um, one thing I do now is, mate, I'm, I'm starting to be a little bit selective with who I engage with because um, there's a lot of people out there, like I say, they put a fake face on and then, you know, you give them your time and then you just realize they just sucking both energy and they want to sell something to you, mm. you know, um, which is quite hard. You can't do business with everyone. That's, mm. that's a true story, you know, um, and it'd be true for you guys as well. You know, you can't please everyone or you can't just um, get on with everyone. So you've got to be a little bit selective, mm. um, which, which works, pisses some people off, but um, that's for them to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Mm. All right. Crystal ball time. But if you look at New Zealand in two years, are we are we looking good? Do you think? Are you optimistic? Yeah, mate. We 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 are we are the chosen ones. Honestly, like you know, I mean, you and I we read the news all day. Mm. I think we 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 are the chosen ones. You know, we in a unique position. It's gonna hurt. I think there's a lot of pain coming. You know, it's not like you your or my income is gonna drop, but just it will be culled at you know in different taxes and stuff which which is okay you know we, we're all in this together 
But um, we're in this unique position. We're so far away from everyone. And like you saw, you know, we just literally close our borders, mm. um, which has created this little beautiful bubble uh, where we're feeling a little bit safe. You know, we're traveling around a bit now. But um, I would just, I just get frustrated a little about um, how little we do about growing more jobs and the industry, you know, like that sort of Kiwi, uh, you know, let's give it a go. doesn't work out. Who cares? We'll just go to the beach and have a beer, you know. I would, I would really like to see more action, you know, from the big business people. It's not people like you and me. It's the big business, you know. Let's make more movies here if that's what it is. Or, you know, if we must, let's dig up a mine, you know, because it's all good to be compassionate. But if you've got no income for it, we can't sustain it, you know. Mm. Um, so we, we needed some ideas, you know. And um, we've got amazing internet connectivity, you know. I would like to see us have more maybe global head offices here. How mm. do we attract these people, you know, which will be awesome because it will have a flow and effect on all of us income-wise. So um, hopefully they're working on that because, yeah. I mean, America's Cup is coming. Which is mm. going to be cool. I'm quite excited about that, actually. Who's um, who, who's they? When you say they, are you talking government, or are you talking are you talking a collective of corporates? I think corporates with the government's blessing. Mm. We, we we have to make it a bit easy for them, you know. Um, you know, I mean, I I talked to my dad a lot about it. You know, he was working for um, Daily Development Authority for a number of years, and um, they would go out and seek out corporate investors to create, you know, apartment complexes with 10,000 apartments, 100,000 apartments, you know, mm. and we don't do any of that here. You know, we, I don't want to sound political, but we, we we're going to build all these homes, but where and who's going to build them? You know, it's good mm. to have a dream. Let's do it. But you got to, um, you got to have a plan and you got to bring in, and I think it's okay to bring overseas people in. It's fine. You know, if some company in Germany, has this brilliant idea how we could build homes faster. Mm. Let's do it. Um, the other thing I want to touch on, man, is um, I don't know if you look into it, but um, I look at Singapore quite a bit, you know, because they're a tiny country, much smaller than us. Mm. But they get so many things so right. You know, they the quality of lifestyle is so superior to us. Um, obviously, they live in these big, beautiful 30, 40-story towers which is not ideal because in new zealand we like our space yeah well they have to the size of the population compared to the land mass is very different to yeah. us yeah but um they've opened themselves up to overseas investment and they're open to ideas you know um mm. yeah but like i say mate i mean it's just what i wish and dream for but obviously i i don't have any of these skills or ideas mm. hopefully someone's working on it um I would just like to have the flow and effect of a good economy, <laughs> you know, buying more of the expensive whiskeys. Do you think that it, that it just might start, start naturally to happen anyway? Uh, I mean, you've got the likes of Microsoft uh, sitting up here. I think we'll see more and more uh, interest. There's definitely a lot of people wanting to, wanting to move here soon. Yeah, but we just got to make it a bit easier for them, I reckon. You know, you read a lot of blogs and um, articles, you know, how much red tape they've got to go through for the simplest of things, mm. you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, um, I quite like um, Queenstown and Wanaka at the moment, you know. Like, at, at one point, they're even talking about putting an airport into Wanaka. You know, it's such a beautiful part of the world. And should if we can fill it up with 100 of these big millionaires, who cares? Bring them in. 
Mm. Let them bring the jobs with them, and um, let's let's let's. I'm I'm not saying give them a free passage, but if they can create some jobs here, if they can bring hundred, two hundred jobs with them at a time, you know, sort of um, Silicon Valley like, and you know, in India they do it so well. These big IT hubs, you know, they have mm. hundreds and thousands of employees. You know, we're not even looking for that. We'll we'll be happy with a hundred at a time. Mm. You know, hundred people staying in New Zealand, paying taxes. Earning hundred fifty, two hundred thousand a year, it's it's got to be huge, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, but also you know, like obviously we are screwed at the moment with tourism, but um for our family holiday in uh, February we went up right up to north, and um we went to this beach called Henderson Bay. I don't know if you've ever been there. No. It's just north of Pukinui, and you sort of go on the Google Maps and you zoom out, and you're pretty much in line with a lot of those beaches in Queensland. <laughs> you know, and you can't close your eyes and thinking of Brisbane and Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast and amazing infrastructures there. And then I'm looking at Henderson Bay, there's 10 people on this beautiful beach. And I'm like, why don't we have a resort here of 500 rooms? You know, why aren't we having big, you know, uh, conferences or weddings or balls and all that kind of stuff? So I think we just, I don't know, sometimes I think we don't think big. Mm. Um, or there's a, lot, a whole lot of other issues that stop us maybe from doing it. But it'd be cool to do it, man. We've got so much space here. Mm. So much space, yeah. And I'm sure you see it as well, traveling around. Um, there'll, be, there'll be some people, though, that, they, that would prefer just to have the empty beach with 10 people as opposed to a resort. Yeah. But then they complain about have, not having an income. It's like mm. you've got to balance the conversation a little, you know. Mm. Or, yeah. But um, obviously tourism is just screwed now, man. I feel the pain. Um, I use TikTok quite a bit, and um, there's any number of. Um, I saw one today. It almost made me cry, man. This um, ex-air hostess of um, in New Zealand, she had created like a split-screen TikTok where she was showing she was getting ready to get on a plane, and then there's another video side by side of her now putting fruit out at supermarket, and it says, "I'm just happy to have a job." Mm. And I was just like, man, this is sad, but so awesome. Look at this check. She's mm. she's pivoted so quickly. She could have just sit on her ass and go, yeah, well, in six months, tourism going to come back and I'll get my job back. But mm. she's getting out there and she's making an income, which is, and luckily she can get that job. Um, but it's still heartbreaking, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. sure she worked towards that career and, you know, got good at her job. And, uh, and I love A New Zealand, man. You know, it's, such a great company um and it hurts me when people criticize it you know rightly or wrongly but i'm very loyal to them and you know um it's kind of like the all blacks you know it's like a national symbol mm. and um it hurts to see them so broken at the moment with no fault of their own really you know um mm. yeah do you think that um uh it always seems really glib to talk about silver linings but do you think that the that once everything opens up again, uh, that some of these companies uh, out of that sector, like in New Zealand, will be a much stronger machine, uh, you know, that we will have a more resilient uh, kind of business base? I think so, mate. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, I talked to my wife about it. Um, when I moved here um, in 2001, um, I don't remember how much we paid for, a, like, an airfare. 
but I've seen airfares from here to India drop from 2,400, 2,500, 3,000. They were down to 800 bucks return, which is dumb. It's like, you know, I mean, I don't have the time, but I'll just hop on a plane for two days, just get six good meals and, you know, just watch a lot of Netflix and come straight back. But surely we can't sustain that. And I think they've just sort of put a clean slate through it. It will not come back. You know, um, there was an article and stuff uh, not so long ago around how international travel will have to be a lot more boutique than just masses. Mm. Um, and the companies who can sort of cater for that, I think will will do well. I mean, look how well Queenstown has bounced back. You know, um, I've got a mate there. He's got this um, Irish pub. You know, obviously, they're not getting good numbers, but any number of Kiwis are traveling to Queenstown and trying their best to support them. And the businesses are responding by uh, maybe dropping their margin expectations and um, running a leaner operation, if that kind of makes sense. So, mm. yeah. Brilliant. All right, one last question. Question about questions. But what's a, what's a question that you would like me to include in my next interview to another business leader? Not necessarily a whiskey connoisseur, but a business leader. Um, just in case they don't drink alcohol, so I'll formulate it in a way. If they could have a whiskey, but if they don't like whiskey, they can have a tea or coffee. If they could go back in time and sit down with one business leader or a key personality from in the past because I asked this question when I do my chat over Dram, which I would like to do with you one day, right. um, talk over whiskey. If there's one business leader or, um, or a key personality they would like to go back in time and just sit down with and just listen to um, who that would be. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, actually, what the answer might be. That's a beautiful question. Who would yours be? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm a whiskey man, and I always say Winston Churchill. And um, I don't know if you, I don't think we connect on Facebook. Off recent, I've become heavily partial to a quality cigar. Um, <laughs> I've gone from sort of four cigars a year to I think I don't know, I've had thirty of them in the last month. <laughs> you know, I had one before, <laughs> you know. And um, and he, he was a great man with his own faults. Well, you know, um, obviously, a lot mm. of people speak very evil of him, but I think he did a lot of good as well. So it'd be interesting to sort of sit down with him. You know, um, um, one thing I'll say, Andre, I don't know if I shared with you, I was very um, anxiety-stricken or um, anxious in the last two, three days lockdown, man. I mean, mm. four of our brick-and-mortar stores were literally shutting down with no promise of mm. if they were... Oh. And he said, boy, you got nothing to worry about. No one is shooting at you. Mm. You're absolutely fine. No one's coming into your house and taking your positions. Um, it'd be fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry. You know, mm. we'll, we'll be all good. And we, we're all good, I think, largely, uh, collectively. So, yeah. Brilliant. On that note, thank you very much. I look forward to the cigar and whiskey with you. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll send you some details. You have to come to the next one. 